Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Welcome to the Midcast, my name's Glenn Innes, thanks so much for taking the time to download today's episode. I'm delighted to have Peter Linus from the Evangelical Alliance with me today. And uh, Peter and I have known one another for a few years, so hopefully this will be a reasonably relaxed conversation. Uh, But we get a chance to continue our series uh, of these uh, conversations around how people are leading and uh, growing churches in this time of uh, a global pandemic. Pete, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, No problem. So, Peter, I obviously know a bit about you, but uh, who are you? What, what's your background? Uh, yeah, so I'm based in Northern Ireland, talking to you today from my house in Port Stewart, looking out at the beautiful sea and sunshine here. Uh, so I get to live in one of the most beautiful parts of God creation, in my view. Um, just, just behind Scotland. Just, just behind Scotland. Uh, I better say that if that's if that's where most of the listeners are, I'll concede that. Um, so, uh, background is I studied law actually in Scotland in Dundee um, many many moons ago. Had a blast there. Really loved it. That was before they made it all nice and pretty, um, as they have now. <laughs> back in the old days. Uh, so, studied law. Worked as a lawyer for as a barrister for five years back in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And then head off to Regent College, which is where we overlapped. So Regent College in Vancouver, the home of J.I. Packer and Eugene Peterson and Gordon Fee and lots of other incredible uh, teachers uh, and had a just an amazing time, my wife and I, studying theology there. Uh, and then came back into the UK and did various things. So, uh, yeah, so I'm married to Rose, got two kids, love running and work for the Evangelical Alliance. So I'm now the UK director, uh, was the Northern Ireland director still based here but kind of got a slightly wider remit and I guess my passions in life are around faith in the kind of workplace and faith in the public square I love those kind of intersection points how do we take our faith in Jesus how do we take kingdom values right out into the interface of the public square in the current moment there seems like there's probably no better person to have on this podcast somebody that's interested in faith in the public square (laughs) so you're gonna have all the answers for us Pete that's brilliant I'm passionate about it. I can tell you all the right people to read and listen to and look to. But yeah, I love I love engaging in this space for sure. Challenging as this moment is, this is what we've got to do for sure. I mean, let's just move on and talk about this current moment. I wonder if we might start with the fact that this past weekend, Tear Fund put a study out uh, that they had done uh, that seemed to suggest that there was a fairly wide connection with people to the church in a way that hadn't been before. They were suggesting something like 25% of the population, uh, the adult population was engaging with uh, some online religious service and uh, also an increase in the number of people praying. Is that something that you think is actually, is that a proper reflection of what's going on? So I think so. Uh, So what we've done at Evangelical Alliance was we rang uh, all, or rang or emailed all of our members, so over 3,000 members um, to connect with them in this season. So I probably spoke to or engaged with about 150 leaders. Um, And what we got consistently was definitely more people were coming into their online services. As one person said, there's never been a better time to sneak into the back of church. You know, it's so easy to do it and check it out. Now, the question then was, we knew more people were listening to multiple services so who were these people and what the tier fund survey uh, identified was that there are definitely some 
they reckon about 5%, I think it is, who've never been any kind of service before were engaging. And then the overall numbers were also high, showing a high proportion of the population engaging. We also know from a couple of different bits of research that the search for prayer, so the Google searching and online searching is up. We know that more people are attending prayer meetings and then Tear Fund found that more people were praying. So we've got a number of different sources for that. And more people are trying to buy Bibles at the minute. So sales are up on any time. So there's a number of different sources that say that. And then you look at what's going on and you say, okay, so the newspaper headlines are dominated by death uh, and they're dominated by a kind of crisis and grief and a very difficult situation. The secular story doesn't have anything to say to that. It's kind of narrative as well. We're just a random collection of cells. This is the evolutionary thing. Viruses come and go. They wipe out the vulnerable. The strong survive. I don't know what story you want to put, but that is essentially the story of our culture. And that doesn't really land very well when it's friends and family and death right on our doorstep. Uh, and it doesn't really say much about the sacrifice required in this moment, the stay-at-home, save lives, lots of things. So people are saying there must be something more. There's got to be a different story. So I think the data, the stories, and common sense all tells us this is likely to be true. Secularism is dying it's under pressure and actually people are looking in all sorts of places for spirituality one of which is going to be the church and this is a fantastic moment in many ways then to be on our missional edge and reaching out and, and opening our doors to people how do you see churches doing that what are some of the examples of the way that you've seen churches actually engage with these kinds of folks so I think we've, uh, you know, obviously the online services are port number one a challenge there was a lot of people are doing them live then they're moving to maybe pre-record but then how do you create a live dynamic? So people are wanting to check in. So people are running them on Facebook. They've got question and answer or, or Q&A or engagement. They've got dialogue. They've got who people who would have been on their welcome team shaking hands as you come in, now online saying, hi, Dave, thanks for joining us. Anything I can do? How do we engage you? Um, they're making their phone calls uh, around people, but then finding out not just about their own members, but about needs next door. They're asking the council, can we do anything? Church of Manchester I was talking to said, um, they said to the council, what can we do? The council said, can you deliver food parcels? They said, yep, love to, absolutely. Started delivering them, but then money started coming in. What they hadn't realized was what the council meant is we will pay you. These are the government food parcels. What they meant was we'd happily volunteer. So you get a win-win where it actually brought in resources, was opening up all sorts of doors and avenues for them to engage with people. Um, and so in lots of different ways, I mean, online alpha groups. So I think Nicky Gumbel himself has said, look, I didn't really think this thing worked online. And actually said, I'm eating my, eating my own hat or eating my own words. It absolutely works online in this moment. This is phenomenal. And they're saying, I can't remember numbers, but thousands more people engaging in online alpha. Uh, and, and so people coming in. And that is more than just checking into church. Now we've got steps and pathways for people. And alpha works online, as do other programs. But it's just, so how do you bring people into a sense of community when you can't physically meet? So we want to take them on steps through. So I think there are ways you've got to get creative. Uh, to do that but there are lots of ways to bring people on that journey towards jesus yeah i mean something to rejoice in is the way that uh we were hearing just uh this past sunday at our kind of national prayer uh time on a sunday evening of a few churches where they had they hadn't started alpha online but they'd continued it online after the lockdown and we've uh, one church was saying six people had gotten saved in that time and yeah just absolutely brilliant we want to want to rejoice that God is still on the move, even if we are stuck inside and not moving anywhere. Um, well, and we're, we're doing a survey, and one of the questions we hope to have is exactly that. Look, how many people are actually coming to faith? So we're hearing anecdotally stories of people coming to faith in so many different environments. We want to we 
try and get a bit more of a grip on that and then and how are you bringing them on the journey to share wisdom from other churches because that'll look different in different contexts so we want to see people encounter jesus and then continue in relationship with them and it's definitely happening let's let's help it happen better and more if you like i guess there's another side of that coin uh, which is as much as there are churches that are maybe thriving or or, or at the very least healthy uh, in this time, there are others that are struggling and are finding this difficult. What what are you seeing around the nation that's concerning for you? And are there any ways that we might address some of those concerns? Yeah, I mean, I think there are definite challenges. Um, I talked in something under lockdown about five different Fs. The first was flexibility. And that works both ways. So for some, like we achieved in seven days what would have taken seven years. That's great. That's also very challenging um, for lots of people. It depends on your personality and mindset. Um, so it's amazing what we can see done. Um, there's the flexibility versus the familiar. So how do you try and keep things familiar for people? Because there's some things we need in this moment uh, while, while keeping the flexibility. I think finances is a big challenge. We know that. I threw out a poll just to see how people were looking at that. I think we got... Um, numbers but uh 10 about 10 or so percent said they thought that it's 14 percent. i think it was said they'd be about the same i'm gonna i'm gonna pull the number before i just bluff that again a quarter said income wouldn't change or would go up a fifth said down by 10 percent. a third said down by 25 percent, and a fifth said down 50 percent or more so that's that's pretty striking numbers uh, and a lot depends that's for the next six months and a lot depends what happens in the long term we know church is the number one giving for most people so a lot of church income secure, but I mean, the weekly offering still big rental from your building or other fundraising uh, concerts, whatever you might do. All of those are important. So if you can't run any of those finances, big um, furloughing and, and churches have wrestled with that. Should they furlough staff? Should they not? If they do, you know, need is up. The income's down. If funerals is massive. Just talking to people. The reality is more people are dying. It doesn't matter what stats you read out there. Uh, and that is hard. And to do funerals in this moment um, I mean, ministers listening will know this. To, in the early days in particular, they were quick within 24 hours. There were five people. You were five meters apart. So little chance to do any kind of grieving. And that's just storing up future difficulties for people. So that's hard stuff. And then just functionality was the last F. Like, you can't do stuff. You can't do your normal kids. You can't go to schools. You can't do things. So how do you, how do you function as a church when most of your ministries are not possible. So you've got to reimagine, but some stuff you just can't. Um, so the, the, lots of challenges for church leaders and a lot being asked of them in a very short space of time where businesses are struggling, government struggling, and we expect the whole group of church leaders just to suddenly turn this on overnight. Um, it takes a lot of time to run an online service and do these things. So I have a lot of sympathy for church leaders. I'd encourage listeners to really get behind their leaders make sure you're praying for them asking what you can do for them they're reaching out the whole time and there are very few people pastoring them in this moment and it's a tough one nobody's seen anything like this no course at college ever prepares you for this yeah absolutely i wonder peter if we might just talk a little bit about the the wider sphere than than just the church just some of the things you were mentioning there you know business and uh, government are also struggling with a lot of the same issues that we are does the church have a place to have a voice in the midst of this i'm thinking maybe in some justice issues and stuff like that is that is that anything you've given any thought to uh, yes yeah, so i think we do uh, have a voice uh, i think we should and i think we're actually being invited to um 
So sometimes it's always say, look, there are conversations ongoing. We're sitting on a, a group of, of advisors or with the number 10 faith advisor. We're on a group of calls then with uh, church leaders across the UK that sits with government. Um, so there's some of those conversations that are really important. I think for a lot of churches locally, actually the doors are more open with councils and locally than ever before. Uh, and the interaction. So who are the people on the front line? The new heroes are the doctors, the nurses, the delivery drivers, and some of those are in our church, and we need to reimagine how we support them. Um, so I think there's lots of different ways we want to engage. Like businesses are absolutely struggling, and we want to be part of that conversation with them. And then there are massive justice issues and vulnerabilities. So if the state has spent so much money in this time in terms of furloughing, etc., there's not an endless pit. Now, there's lots of talk about austerity or not, but whatever way you want to cut and slice it, state spending is likely to reduce. They just don't have the money. Nobody's paying money in at the minute. Um, now, and therefore, the gap between the state and the individual gets bigger. We need who's going to stand in the gap. The church are one of the biggest agencies that do that. And in this moment, many of the other third sector agencies rely on significant government funding. And that funding is either questionable, up for grabs, or, or less secure than it was. So we, I think in the, th the third sector estimate that there'll be four billion pounds shortfall in these first three months. Now the church is in that, but our money is likely to be less affected. We have many more volunteers than they do. So many rely on state funding to pay people to work for them. So we have this massive asset base that we want to leverage at this moment and say, we are here for you. We're just in conversations at the minute where government was saying, we're not asking for money. We'll not say no if you want to give it, but actually what we're wanting to say is we have a volunteer base that would love to do something. Tell us one or two things that you would really love to see us help you with, and we would love to work with that. It could be around employment, it could be around vulnerability and justice, it could be housing, whatever. We're not saying we can do all of it, but we would love to try and engage in this moment. So I think, again, there's this real missional opportunity to step out and have that conversation at the higher level. State, you know, all of the big conversation with going to local authorities as a church as well and saying, We'd love to try. We will have less money, but so will everybody. But we will have volunteers um, and more motivated volunteers, I think, than anybody else as a church. So let's step into the breach in this moment. As, as we continue in this kind of moving into a, a slightly different phase of uh, this, our experience of this pandemic, and you know, there's chat that churches might be allowed to begin to meet sooner. You know, at least in smaller groups, we might end up in some sort of kind of hybrid situation where some people can meet and others are not able to. Um, we might be able to meet, but we'd have to be social distance. Those sorts of questions. Do you have any thoughts on how churches can begin to think about or prepare for navigating that moment, whether that's in a month's time or or a couple of months' time? I, I mean, I have thoughts like everybody. Listen, we're, we're always trying to work out what's happening. We're trying to both listen to churches, listen to what God might be saying and see in this moment. So for me, I see this in three stages overall. The first is react. And we're kind of through that. That's the instant quick response, sort of almost protecting or preserving what's there. Um, and I think that's these first few months. Um, then I think after the react is the reset phase. Um, and I like reset because there's two parts to that. You can set something again. You can reset a bone and uh, something that's broken. There will be some resetting um, that needs to go on. But you also reset a course or reset your direction. That, that's a change. That is a shift. And I think we're going to have to do both those things. And I think the third part will be renew. I think lots of people think there will be renewal. And renewal often comes after crisis. In fact, some would say always is preceded by crisis. 
But, but just to be clear, it doesn't follow that just because there's a crisis, we get renewal automatically. That's the key here. Yep. And so for me, what we do in the reset phase, which is the phase I think we're coming into now, and will probably be the next six months roughly, is going to be really important. And a few things in that for me are around, somebody put it this way, voice recognition. Um, and for me, it's, this is the hearing of God's voice. One of the strange and wonderful things at this moment is it's quieter. There are no planes in the skies. We can't go anywhere. I can't listen to podcasts because I'm not in my car. I'm not on a train. I'm not on the plane. But at the same time, this is the moment to hear from God. And, and the thing, the two things I'm hearing are around humility and holiness. The holiness thing is it probably preceded the lockdown. Um, but I think there's a humbling in this moment. And there is a call for holiness. That is so often the prophetic way. So it said, look, platforms and programs and all these things you had, you need to shift. This is voice recognition time. Can you hear my voice and what's going on? And, and you can go to Josiah pulling out the scrolls and, and the reset that went on there, Daniel and his resolving not to defile himself. It's constant throughout the Old Testament literature. There's a kind of winnowing and hearing the voice. Hmm. Because then I go to more practical things. It is around building resilience, um, you know, in terms of there's deep pain, like this is a hard moment and we need to build some resilience around that with people. We will need to uh, create alignment. You know, we'll go back to some of our core stuff and say, is EA the organization I'm with? And we did all these wonderful things, but we don't have the same resource. We're going back to core mission stuff right now for us. That's, that's gospel and voice stuff, right? We're going to do that stuff and do it really well. And if it's not that, we're not going to do it in this moment because this is what we're about. And we're going to realign. We're going to keep pushing the clarity point. We can't be certain what's coming in the future. I don't know that, but I'm going to be clear what we're going to do as an organization. And we will remain agile. Like there's practical stuff in that. Like we're going to keep cash. We're going to keep reserves. We're not going to spend everything because we want to be agile for what's coming. But I think those are phases we have to go through. We've got to hear from God and then we've got to create alignment because what I think people think is when we start meeting again, whenever that might be, the pressure on ministers and leaders will be, I want my boys' brigade back, my youth group back, this thing back, the Monday morning group, the teenagers, the toddlers, the da 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 And each one of those will sound legitimate. But if we have not reset some stuff and said, this is what's going to happen, including resetting expectations, we are going to continue online or not. We're, we're going to do this. We're going to become more missional. Look at the opportunities we have. We're going to use what limited resource we have in this way. And we've reset that. When the opening comes, it's too late. And the demands overwhelm you. And that's why I think these few months is going to be critical for leaders. Get the voice recognition on and then get your reset ready and begin to reset expectations across your organization or your church. We are going to look different. It's never going back to what it was before. That's a fallacy. Let's knock that in the head. It'll be a new normal. And we need to be ready for that new normal now. Otherwise, we'll just get overwhelmed. It'll return to individualism, consumerism. I want this, my pet project. Look after the flock. Anyway, I could probably rant on on that, but I think this is a huge reset moment that prepares for renewal if we get this right. I, I, I almost kind of want you to carry on that rant. I mean, I... <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I probably would say much more, but I do think if the hearing bit is so important first, mm -hmm. and I think we want to skip past that. And then I do love, I mean, I want to get practical. I want to say what it looks like to create alignment around some stuff. You know, if mission becomes key at this moment, what is your mission? Let's get right back to that. You'll redraw your operational plan now. We went right back to the drawing board, reset our vision as in just reworded it, didn't change it substantially. But then we drew down an operational plan. This was about a week ago already. We, that's our reset internally. And now we're just over communicating clarity, clarity, clarity. This is what we do. Can't tell you a certainty who's coming back, what we'll do about furloughing. That's not my job right now. I do have to give you clarity as a leader. And I am going to over-communicate that. Um, 
And I do think the final, the agility point is going to be really important. Um, this is a marathon with many sprints. We have finished round one. We're maybe five miles into this marathon. Let's be realistic. There's a long way to go and people are already wiped out. Yeah. We talked to some churches that were involved in the Christchurch earthquake and the church was a great first responder, did an amazing job. But the leaders reflected afterwards that they ran out of steam after 68 weeks and they really struggled for the next few months. And this is a five, 10 year rebuild of a city job really at Christchurch. Mm-hmm. And, and they struggled in that intervening period. And we need to be alert to that too. There's a massive rebuild of society. Our economy will look different. Politics is going to look different. And not every bit of it. I'm not an idealist, but, but it has to shift some stuff. And we want to be in those conversations, but we've got to reset our own house and then have that little bit of agility, which means right now reserves are for this moment. I'm a finance guy. I'm with that. But if you don't have some cash, if you're a business, I'd say cash is king. You need to have a little bit of reserves left money. So when the opportunity arises, we can pivot and move. Don't spend it all keeping an old system going. These are tough, tough choices that are going to have to be made right now. But that resets you, allows you to realign for the renewal that is absolutely coming. If those numbers are right, the number of people checking into church, then we're going to have a huge problem when church starts together again. A wonderful problem. More people are going to want to come. What are we going to do? And we're going, we have 200 people. We're not even allowed for all those to meet. So we're going to have to do four services of 50. Now another 50 want to come. Well, what a wonderful problem. So let's get much more creative as to how we're going to deal with that. We've absolutely got to believe that some of those people are going to come into our real life churches and journey with Jesus and be discipled. So this is a great problem. But if we don't do some mindset resetting now, we will be in trouble. I mean, that, that, that kind of goes to some of the other little things that I was interested in. I mean, do you think digital church is here to stay? Yes, in some form. I mean, people have enjoyed checking into it. There's a great, Kerry Newhoff is a Canadian, I think, but North American guy commentating. So he's talking about how many people are coming in. It's amazing. It's the best thing ever. And you can be an executive pastor on the East Coast for a church on the West Coast. I was like, the first bit of this is right. The second bit is nonsense. In my view, you can't pastor somebody from a thousand miles away. But I, I like his excitement that people are coming through that door. We already knew before this from speaking to many churches that um, if they ran an online service, most of their newcomers checked them out online before they turned up at church. So that we knew that. Now, just anecdotally, but from lots of churches, this was true. My own church and a number of others I'd spoken to. So people want to see what they're going into because people check. They go online. If you go to a big hotel, what do you do? You Google the pictures you go on the church. You see the pictures of it. Same thing in church. If you're thinking of going to church, if there's an option, you'll go online and see it. Now we've created many more of those options so more people can see a way in. So I think that bit's good. What has potentially created is consumerism. So Mike Frost and others have written, hold on, hold on. This is disastrous. We've created consumers coming in the door and they, they will always be consumers. I think that's too negative, but I get the basic point he's saying. We do need to be careful, but it turns out most people are not going to the slickest church it doesn't look like by the numbers now. They want to engage with their own community, naff as it might be sometimes. They want to see people that they know. They want to put a message on the side and say, hey, Dave, glad you're here. Are you in your pajamas too? Rather than see the coolest, slickest production. Um, and so I do think some version of online is here to stay. And I love the fact that I can do a Zoom meeting sometimes and not have to fly to London um, because that is apparently the center of the universe. It's just that that's where you and I definitely agree in these yeah, moments. We Scots and Irish are always driven down these things. So some of that stuff will be great, what can be done online. But we also know that other bits can't. You don't get a full sense of community online. What lockdown has shown us is we're not an individualist society as we thought we were. We actually desperately, desperately enjoy engaging, encountering, 
hear me right when I say touching, but hugging and embracing people. Yeah. Like there's something about physical touch that's actually incredibly important. Um, and so we will want lots of that in a different way, connecting points. So yes, it's here to stay, but it's it's not the total game changer, I don't think. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. You know, you're talking about the place that the church can have in this moment and the voice that we can have uh, with, you know, local councils, with a, a governmental level. Do you anticipate any long-term shifts in the kind of church and culture relationship, which I think it'd be fair to say was before this was pretty fractured. Yeah. Listen, you know, I wrote a resource around transgender and before that, that's all I was talking about, it felt like. And that's still an important topic, but not very many people are asking about it right now. Uh, and there's other topics you could mention like that. They'll still be there. There's still important issues underpinning that. But we're beginning a piece of work and began before this lockdown on being human. And it was saying that there's a larger issue to what it is to be human being. That's a very fundamental question that's actually been asked during this crisis. What is the value of a 70-year-old's life and an 8-year-old's life? What was the value of a person with learning disabilities who goes, who's got COVID and comes in versus somebody else? Because we know some pretty brutal decisions have been made behind the scenes as to the value of life. That's raised pretty fundamental questions of what it is to be human. Now, I think that's a great place to be having the conversation. And the people I want to have that conversation are doctors and nurses on the front line and delivery drivers and those working in shops too. So leadership's become decentralized. We're actually embracing the everyone, everywhere, every day, the scattered church. We can't gather. I love gathering. We will gather again. But it's been put back into context that that is one part of the church, not all of the church. And the scattered church is as important, if not more so, so we'll need to continue in the reset, I would say, to decentralize our leadership, do better discipleship making so that doctors and the nurses can be involved in those conversations in hospitals and they're equipped rather than running to a minister and saying, you need to help me in this or do this for me. No, that's not. You do this because you're a medical expert, but be equipped theologically, biblically to think well about it. And, and mission is now the default norm. Everybody's going, how do I love my neighbor? How do I put up my rainbow to say I'm, I'm out there clapping for the NHS? How do I check in on my neighbor and see that they're okay? Can I set up a WhatsApp group for my community or area? Now, that's mission. That's exactly what we always should have been doing. Everybody now just thinks it's normal. So I want mission to remain the new normal, but releasing the everyone everywhere every day to have the conversation. So the church engagement now in the public square is not around, not solely around trans and others, because I will continue to argue those things are still important in the being human, but it's a much more fundamental what human dignity. Um, our identity in this moment, our value and our worth, the kind of relationships that we form and the importance of our very sense of purpose, especially if there are wide-scale um, redundancies off the back of the furloughing. We already know thousands and tens of thousands of people aren't going to have jobs to come back to. That's a huge financial impact, but it's also an emotional, cognitive impact on who they are and their very sense of value and worth in a very work-driven society. So again, all those areas I'd love to be see the church engaging in, and we're well-equipped too, because the text talks about our identity and dignity. It talks about the value of our relationships. It talks about our sense of purpose, what we're made to do. And again, I'm preaching, so sorry, but yes, I love it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I mean, Pete, if you had, uh, just on that specific topic, um, you know, if someone, the pastor's listening and going, yeah, I, I get that, but what, what can I give to my people? Is there a book? Is there a a course? Is there something that I could point some folks to uh, as a, a kind of starter for 10, uh, even in the midst of this, as part of this reset um, on that specific issue that you were talking about there? On that, so Regent College, where we went, has this brilliant resource, Reframe. Um, I'm pretty sure it's now free, it is, if not yeah. still worth it. Yeah, so they've now launched it. It's a 10-week video course, fantastic material. It's really just reframing 
for those in the marketplace and the workplace environment, how they see that work as part of their mission of God. LICC also have great stuff on the front line. This is the moment to really work that into your DNA and the reset conversation. Absolutely. Oh, that's really helpful. We should think about winding this up. You have you have lots of other things to do. I could keep going forever here. Uh, listen, if you had uh, one uh, piece of advice or encouragement that you could offer to the Baptist churches around Scotland, uh, what would that be? So it might not surprise you. I'm going to harp back to one thing. This reset period is absolutely crucial. Don't miss it. Um, where you are in your leadership journey and how you understand it, um, this is going to be a moment for you to lead um, both as pastors, but also as elders and deacons in, in the structure of that church and to help people through that conversation. Uh, and if nothing else in that reset, the first and foremost piece will be the humility and holiness piece. We've got to hear from God in this moment as to what is going on at the higher level, but more for, for our communities and individual level. And I think the call to holiness is a huge one, like in a, in a helpful way to set, our part, or set ourselves apart but in, in a purity way. So rather than pointing the finger and judgmental, any of that stuff, don't hear that. This is a is a coming closer to God moment to bring others closer to God. Pete, with that, we'll finish. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, uh, anything that's going on that you want to let people know about? Um, well, if, if you were to read an article, I'd read Andy Crouch, um, Praxis. He's got some great stuff on leading through the blizzard and then a second piece around that. Mark Sayer's book on reimagining church, I think, is really poignant for this moment. They're both great cultural kind of analysts. Um, and the Evangelical Alliance Facebook and, and website, you'll see coronavirus conversations that we have. So we're bringing a variety of people in over the next few weeks and we'll be putting research and I'll be trying to put pieces out. So look, EA has that coronavirus hub. We love the church. We want to serve it in any way we can. That's what we're about in this season. So keep checking out the website. We'll have a Being Human podcast. We've already got season one. There's a lockdown series coming now. Uh, we're just working on in the next few days. So stuff will start coming out again about what is it to be human in this season. But listen, yeah, anything we can do to help the church, we'll always try. You'll get links to all that stuff in the show notes underneath. Pete, thank you so much for your time. Uh, have a great day. Enjoy the sunshine in Northern Ireland. Thank you, mate. <laughs> that was Peter Linus from the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did and not only enjoyed it, but found it provocative and helpful. On this question of resetting and rethinking how we might do church on the other side of the pandemic, the Mission Initiative Group are putting together a number of videos of people from around Scotland sharing their current stories, but also their current thinking on where we might be headed to. If you check out the website, that's scottishbaptist.com, then you will see that there are some videos going up there uh, this week. That is uh, the week beginning the 11th of May. Uh, hopefully by the end of the week there will be some videos starting to appear there. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, if you have, then please uh, feel free. It would be great if you could give us a, a rating on iTunes or whatever you use uh, to listen to your podcasts. And if you've got ideas of subjects you'd like to hear us talk about or uh, guests you'd like us to have, then please do get in touch with us on Twitter at BUSMigCast or through the Baptist Union website, scottishbaptist.com forward slash midcast, and uh, we would love to hear your ideas. For today, I'm Glenn Innes. This has been the Midcast. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.